Hi there, welcome back to the Bus Bot Scottish Football Podcast. I am Hamish, I've got Callum and Matt alongside me for this uh, very special episode where we chat about our miserable football teams. Matt, tell me why your team, Aberdeen, are the worst of our three. Because <laughs> we can't buy a win and uh, we should really be challenging your Celtic um, to at least second place. Unfortunately, it's just not working this season. Uh, it's gone off the rails a wee bit and we can't buy a win. So, um, yeah, disappointing, disappointing few months, but here we are. <laughs> Callum, make your case for Kelly. Well, I think there's absolutely uh, no no competition here when it comes to who's the worst team in the league out of our three respective clubs. Come on, like Bottom of the form table. I think Aberdeen are second bottom of the form table. Um, so I, th- I think that evidently shows why why we're the worst team in the league, especially just where we are in the league table. Ten defeats in our last thirteen games, extremely worrying. But fingers crossed, we can we can pack it up for here and hopefully preserve our Premier League status. I hear what you're saying, guys. I take your points on board. But have either of you looked on the the Celtic Twitter feed today? Have you seen the the tweets that that idiotic establishment have sent out they've had two happy birthdays or maybe three happy birthdays we got on this day for when Tom Rogic signed for the club one of the happy birthdays was Olivier and Cham who's just left the club in disgrace about a week ago you're not beating Celtic lads I don't care what any says at least your Twitter feeds are, are holding up to, to some sort of an extent no? <laughs> don't know about that like uh, whenever Aberdeen tweet it's just uh, people have now started responding with a Derek McInnes and has got a big red target over his head so <laughs> <laughs> that's all the responses just now and uh, yeah Aberdeen have been putting out a few birthdays and things like that I think as well not as much as you because I know how much uh, you like the Celtic birthdays Hamish you've been going on about it for two weeks so <laughs> what what is this obsession we wishing former players and current players and folk who played a handful of games for the club 25 years ago a happy birthday. Did, is, do all clubs do this? Oh, did Brackmack get his uh, birthday special? You, you were did. calling oh, for it. That was an interesting one, Matt, because they never actually tweeted it because I think we'd just lost to Kelly, but they did put it up on the tweet, uh, the fleets and on the Insta stories. Just a, a complete cop-out. Did Kelly do birthdays? Do you, do you get birthdays in... And come on, you you have Halloween on a weird day, so well. If you we could have a whole separate <laughs> podcast and why Halloween celebrated the last Friday October is actually the real way to celebrate Halloween. I would ask right, you go, guys. Go on, then. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, would you have a birthday party on a Tuesday night, or would you wait to the weekend to have your birthday party? Aye, but it's still my, I'm still celebrating my birthday on that day. I'd have a party as well. As what you guys do is you just change the calendar around. Yeah. I mean, would you have Christmas on the twentieth of December? No, no, well, because Christmas is a public holiday, so so, so it doesn't come into that. I mean, Halloween, <laughs> and it's all to do. It's all to do with industry and stuff as well. Obviously, been a proper working class town that Kilmarnock is. Every day was paid on a Friday, therefore people could give more to the kids on a Friday when they were going door to door. So there's absolutely it's the most logical thing to. To, the most logical day to celebrate it without a shadow of a doubt kids, kids at 8, 10 years old getting out trick or treating at 10 o'clock in, in a school night, nah go out by a Friday weekend, enjoy your weekend so birthdays, birthdays uh, I think we only really do it with uh, current players and maybe club legends Is Alex Dyer a club legend? <laughs> um, no, it's it's, it's, a bit of, it's it's a bit of a shame with Dyer, I think that 
you've got to. I think he left almost just at the right time for his own sake before it went completely sour. Although it still is pretty sour, it's not like he goes with the vast well nine. He goes with ninety nine percent of the support's best wishes. We're grateful for the the time he was at the club and obviously the great days under Steve Clark. But I still think he hung on a wee bit too long and maybe should have stepped down in December time. But no, Dyer, for the role that he played under Steve Clark, uh, without a doubt, yep. When you look at the fact that you brought in Tommy Wright now, um, we'll get your thoughts on Tommy Wright in a wee second, but just first off, he's a massive improvement in Alex Dyer, isn't he? When you look at it like manager for manager. So for that point of view, it looks like a really good move to get rid of Dyer and to get Tommy Wright in. No, without a doubt, Hamish, it's a great point you make. And I'll give a shout out to my... My friend Paul Montgomery, who made the exact same point, Monty, who listens to the podcast mm. as well, um, uh. he he said that. He's like, if you strip everything down, regardless of the situation, we've got a massive upgrade here. You know what I mean? And that's with the greatest of respect to Alex Dyer, but Tommy Wright, seasoned pro, uh, bags of experience in Scotland. Um, it's, 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 there's no doubt it's, it's an upgrade, and, and I sincerely hope that you know we, we, we kick on immediately. So what can he bring to Kilmarnock then? Because he, I think he spent nine years at, at St Johnson, won them a cup, but the cup's kind of the crowning jewel. But I think the, the main thing was that he took over for Steve Lomas and, and really took them on to the next level. They were consistently finishing top six. I think mainly when Rangers were out of the league, um, and maybe Hearts and Hibs to a certain extent as well, but I don't want to take too much away from what he did there. It's a It's a good appointment. What can he do at, at Rugby Park and, and how long will it take you to start seeing what he can do as what will be an instant impact he makes? Well, I think the good thing about Tommy Wright is that he can come in and all he really has to do is motivate the players and set us up and make us hard to beat. We're not talking about a guy coming in here and thinking, right, we need uh, we need a few weeks for him to bed his style in. What his style is is what these players are suited to. You know, counter-attacking, defensive football and then hopefully longer term, can progress on to something else. I keep telling myself, day in, day out, I'm worried. Of course, I'm very, very worried uh, with the position that we're in. As I've said, 10 defeats in 13 have you, have you heard of a football team called Hamilton Ackies? Yes, of course Are I have. Are you aware of them? Yes, the, the, the team who never get relegated yet. Oh, Kelly as well. I know, but I think that we're just... Of of course, if you're, if you're a Hamilton or Ross County fan, you'd trade your left arm to be in the position that we are. And everybody's still within touching distance each other, even as far up as... Um, I'd say St. Myrner are out that now. Um, I suppose you never know what could happen with a couple of defeats here or there. But I'd, I'd say St. Myrner, say if everybody else is, is round about the, the, the same position, as I said, St. Johnson, the D-United. But again, with our trade where uh, we are for their position, without a shadow of a doubt, I just think that... I keep telling myself we've got far too much experience there um, to, to go down and I'm not meaning this the big club thing nobody's too big to go down we've seen that Hearts uh, Hibs the United um, all, all, all these clubs who, who have been relegated for the top flight in recent years but I think player wise I mean you've got guys Kurt Broadfoot Stuart Finlay uh, Alan Power Gary Dicker Chris Burke even Greg Kilty who's been through this with Kilmarnock before I think that blows Aki's Ross County and maybe even Motherwell and stuff out of the water when it comes to experience in this league. So 
the big ask is to get these guys performing because that's been the, the issue all season. And if anybody's got to do it, it's Tommy Wright. Casey, I've got a question for you. Is the biggest frustration really the fact that you just haven't kicked on since like what Stevie Clark said on the pitch in his last day? Like it's just <laughs> kind of you know like because obviously like in the time that we've known you, right? Obviously when you came in, when we all kind of became pals and that, you know, you were you know you made the play the playoff, the relegation playoff, and all that. Like it was everything. Then it goes up high again, and then just back down. Is that? That must be so annoying, this fact that it's just not, not been any progress. No, but it's, it's a good um, question, Matt. I think that, again, the, the guy that I brought up earlier on, Paul Montgomery, I had a conversation with him exactly about the same thing. It's, it's not the fact that we've no kicked on for Steve Clark. That's as good as it will ever really get for being a Kamala supporter. It's the fact that Steve Clark was uh, the the difference. Like, like the, That is the only change Kamala have really been in 10 years. I think that... When I broke it down, really, we've only had two or three good seasons in 10, 11 seasons, which just really isn't good enough. I know we can all joke and maybe you guys will think that I think Kamalak are a bigger club than what they are, but it's it's worrying that we're constantly... I'm not saying that we shouldn't be in relegation battles ever. Of course we should. Everybody, everybody's got to face that. But Kamalak should be competing for top six most seasons. I'd say par, a par season for Kamalak would be about 7th, 8th, competing for top six every year and sometimes maybe going a wee push for Europe other years other end of the table but we, we should be mid-table we, we shouldn't really be in relegation uh, fights every single season which it seems to be with the exception of Steve Clark and mixed with Pat Alainen's season as well as Kenny Shields for Kenny Shields left the club it was just downward trajectory until Steve Clark walked in the building and he gave us a 18 month of happiness and since then it's, it's really it's been on a decline again you're absolutely preaching to the choir with me in terms of that big appointment you made, Steve Clark. We made a similarly um, you know, high-profile appointment with Brendan Rodgers. We got the rewards from that, like Kelly got the rewards. I was at a Kelly St Mirren game and Boxing Day a few years ago, there was over 7,000 there. Now, what would you get? Well, nowadays you get zero, but in a normal world, you'd probably get three or 4,000, maybe slightly more now at a game like that. So... I don't understand why Kelly, like Celtic, didn't build for that position of strength. Um, you obviously went with Alessio after Steve Clark. Maybe from the outside looking in, they thought that was a similar Steve Clark appointment and maybe it would have worked out in another world. Maybe if Alessio had been given more time, Kelly wouldn't have been in the place they are now. Maybe, I'm just throwing that out there. You'll know better than me. But my, my big question that you've touched on, why do teams like Kelly and Celtic, and any team for that matter, not build from a position of strength, you go out and you get a manager like Rogers, like Clark, that surprised us both because we almost thought that was too high a calibre, a manager to come to Scotland and to our clubs. And I get you can't do that with every appointment, but when you're at that, you know, real high point, for Kelly it was finishing th- uh, third, for Celtic it was winning back-to-back trebles, three, three trebles in a row. Why do you not push on for that and get a similar type manager? Why do you then, you know, regress and appoint an easy option? I think, in I mean, all you guys that follow my Twitter will see how much criticism I've, I've given the board from time to time. I've actually got a lot of respect for Billy Bowie and the other members of the board. I've met Billy Bowie a couple of times, really, really nice guy, um, and, and I've not got a bad word to say with him in that respect. But I think, in fairness to them, Angelo Alessio seemed to be a very ambitious appointment, and if anything... 
what, what, it was the wrong appointment, there's no doubt about that. A lot of Kelly fans are rewriting history a wee bit with him and saying, oh, well, he, he left us in fifth, but it wasn't really fifth. It's the same way that Robbie Nielsen left Hearts in second that season to go to MK Dons. He didn't really, you know what I mean? He's it, it, still like, league table standing, yeah. They'll never got to sustain that. And I think Cubs Bottom had games in hand. I, I, I think we were fifth, but we're on the back of three defeats in the trot against teams below us in only maybe three or four points for like uh, ninth or something like that. So it's it, it was going it was going down well. So he was never backed in the transfer market. Backroom staff technically was brought in a couple of coaches fairly, but he got Massimo Donati to work with him. I don't think they had any relationship beforehand. Donati was more or less a translator, is my understanding. Alex Dyer was forced yeah. upon him. I wouldn't say he got found out. I think they tried to play an expansive style of football, again, which people forget. That's how we could beat Beconis Key. We had our full-backs playing at the halfway line. Eh, sorry, we had our centre-halves playing at the halfway line, our full-backs playing as wingers, and that's what cost us both goals, really. Eh, well, certainly the second goal. And and then we went to the most negative football I've ever seen in my life after that because the players really... Well, he deemed the players not good enough to try and play expansive football. So they did do that, and then they made a mistake by giving the job to Alex Dyer, which was just so, so poor. Not even the fact... When they sacked Alessio, they gave Dyer the job until the end of the season. They said, we've not made a decision yet. Dyer's interim manager. We go and get three defeats in the bounce. Goes to Motherwell home 1-0, Rangers at Ibrox 1-0, St Myrna away 1-0. And then after the St Myrna game, Dyer gets interviewed in BBC. Do you want the job? Do you want the job? Refuses to answer it. Says the board know where I am. So he doesn't even say he wants a job. And then in the back of that, Alex Dyer's now commander manager to the end of the season. You're thinking, in what, in what other role would you get a trial period and lose three games in the bounce? Sounds familiar. Uh, it, it sounds familiar. Lose three games in the bounce to get the job. And I feel bad because and I was I knew Dyer wasn't going to work, but I was willing to give him a chance, willing to give him the transfer window in January and the transfer window in the summer. And he's had more than enough of his own players in and it just didn't work. Never was go to. I think when Clark left, you had guys like Paul Clement and stuff in for the job. Don't get me wrong. He just got sacked for mm. some club in Belgium who were like in the relegation uh, fight. But he was like, he was exactly like cut for the same cloth as Stevie Clark. You know, assistant manager to Ancelotti, uh, Chelsea, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, Real Madrid. And, and you go with Alessio, who is just far too unknown. So, I, again, I can see why the board went that way. They tried to go too ambitious. Bear in mind, Billy Bowie said that we had the best manager in the league when he appointed Angelo Alessio as well. I mean, I mean, look at that now. I mean, it's, it's funny how history, how, how things work out. But, I don't know. I, I think Tommy Wright is, is the most stable appointment we could ever go for. It's no, it's no exciting, but it's what the club need to know. Um, and I sincerely hope that he can do that. We've been in the Premier League since 1993. I know Matt touched on... For you guys, I've known me, Kamalik have been relegation fodder, um, minus that period under Stevie Clark. But before that, Kamalik were always, I mean, late 90s, European football, competing at the top end of the league, mid-2000s, stability under Jim Jeffries, late-2000s falling out, and then we had that period in really, really poor form. Things come in cycles. Kamalik should be a top-flight club, mm. and I sincerely hope Tommy Wright can keep us there. Those happy days when, when there was a smile on your face all the time and you could go out with your pals and have a drink on the Saturday after Kelly have just beaten Celtic or Rangers with Kelly. I, I remember there was like a December game that season with Steve Clark where you went top of the league. I think you beat Livingston at home and it was just it was just remarkable. And we all knew at the time that you were never going to you know keep that up, but it's just it's it's a shame to see it. You're right with the whole form thing. The, the last uh, 15 games, Kelly are bottom, taking 10 points. 
from your last 15 games, which is quite plainly nowhere near good enough for Kelly. Uh, Matt, you were famously the guy who tipped St Mirren for relegation just <laughs> literally a matter of weeks ago. As they eye up a European place, what's your, your new prediction for who's going to finish bottom and who's going to finish a it's not uh, St Mirren, I can tell you that. Um, I don't know, I mean, I think it's still, it's obviously still very close and the form table doesn't give hope to anybody, you know, we, we've touched on it already, but Aki's, you know, obviously they, I, I was very impressed with them against Rangers, so, you know, they've got that to build on almost. And right, on to your mob, Matt, uh, well at least you got your kind of review or some sort of explanation from the Aberdeen board with regards to Derek McInnes's future at the club. Um, it's maybe not the one you were after, but Dave Cormack, the Aberdeen chairman, says the club are fully behind Derek McInnes. We're at the business end of the season and we still have 33 points to play for. It's critical we all get behind Derek and the team as we strive for the best possible league finish and qualify for European football once again. What are the the thoughts on that, Matt? Um, I think it's... <sighs> I think it's encouraging that Dave Cormack has come out and at least spoken to the club. Um, there was a rumour floating about at the weekend that McInnes was getting sacked and stuff, but then like, no, literally none of the media were reporting it. It was like fans, really, is typical. Uh, the Aberdeen fans are currently in meltdown, <laughs> which is fair to say. Um, I, don't, I, I don't agree with a lot of them, to be honest with what they're saying. I actually think that while, while McInnes... It's maybe taken as far as we can go, I think he has, possibly. I, there's not been any progress this season at all, bar a purple patch maybe in November, October time. It's not been great, but I think that the fact that the club have come out and backed him, I actually think now that the fans actually need to just go, look, right, you know, we, we need, we need, you kind of need to support the team because the reality is, is that European football is very much on the card still because you can actually finish fifth and probably get into Europe, um, which isn't great, but, um, He's now gone, and you know, part of the statement was talking about the the, the transfer deadline day signings, right? I mean, three last week. You need you need these guys to kind of you need to get to give McGinnis time to work with them, and I think that that's important. Um, obviously, the difference at the moment is that the fans are all obviously virtual. You know, they're not at the games and stuff. So, you know, McGinnis isn't. I don't really know if the players can feed off of that. You know, like that reaction at the moment because obviously it's just done on social media at the moment so mm. really it is it is up it is it's up to McInnes to get them going the reality is the players have not been good enough I think in in the last few months the system hadn't really changed you know like if people said oh well Sam Cosgrove was an issue because he they tried to just lump it up to him and things like that well he's gone now and you know he was our he was our goal scorer <laughs> before before this season really so we have to kind of really hit the ground running again and I didn't catch all the game on uh, Saturday, but by all against Hibs, but by all accounts, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't wasn't great, you know, and that's something that they need to do, you know. Like it, if you think back to September, they they went to Easter Road and weathered the storm a little bit, but were very worthy winners, and that was a real high point yeah. of the season. Looked and, like a good team. Yeah, yeah, they did, and even when we played Hibs again in November. You know, everybody always talks up Hibs' expansive football, things like that. I already battered them. It was 2 0. It was 2 0 after like 15, 20 minutes, I think. So you really need to be getting back to those performances. It's Some of them have been unacceptable. Livingston last week was atrocious. Um, the game at, uh, the game obviously at Dingwall was, I mean, that is, 
that that you know that's kind of unforgivable, really, that formation, but uh, that formation, that result. But it's just it's so frustrating, right? Because we've built up this team this season at the start of the year. You know, right at the start, it was obviously you know the the COVID eight, the everything was going against them. Then they resolved, and it was our kind of real siege mentality that had been built. And it was expansive football. It was good. They've been very unlucky again with injuries. I think you know Ryan Hedges now ruled out for the season. He's arguably been our best player. They just need to kind of get back to winning ways first and foremost. But they also need to start looking because I think I think the the problem is the club. The fans don't accept just now winning one nil against Motherwell or, or whatever. You know they actually want us to have a go and bury teams in the first half. Really. Um, and that and that's kind of just that's the reality of it. Aberdeen fans have obviously become, and rightly so, because of the position of the, the club have moved forward in the last eight years. And Derek McInnes has been at the forefront of that. You know, without him, God knows where they would have ended up. Really, you know, he's made the club, made the fans fall the bat in love with the club again. It's been very good seasons, but it's just gone stale. And I think that's the problem. We don't have issues like where. Fighting off relegation financially, pre-COVID, very good. New stadium, new training ground, everything's looking looking rosy. And Dave Cormack is a very good, you know, he's a very good communicator. He's so active on social media. It's a bit cringe sometimes, but it, you know, you know, obviously, I know, I know him in terms of when I was working at the club and things, and he's very engaging. Just just wants to have a go with things. That very American kind of philosophy on things, and and really, it's gone, you know. He wants the club to do well, and I think that Derek and his while his he may be on borrowed time. They also can't finances dictate as well. He's on a big contract. He's still got eighteen months to go. You know, I don't think he's going to be willing to walk away because I think he actually wants to to give it a go. I think he really wants to try and rebuild again, almost. Um, so I'm backing him because I think the I think it's important that the fans do support it. But obviously, you know, it has to improve. To be honest, do you think an aspect of that is Matt as well, in regards to Derek McInnes about his stock is probably the lowest that has been. Um, I mean, we're talking peak Derek McInnes is kind of twenty fifteen, sixteen, into twenty seventeen when um, obviously linked with the Rangers job and stuff. But I mean, where does he he go for here as well? It's not like he could hold his hands up and potentially get a bigger job now. I think that. Given that it has gone still Aberdeen, because I understand where, where the Aberdeen support are coming from, but the frustrating aspects of it, again, if you were to go back five, uh, 10 years ago after the Mark McGee days and uh, say to, to uh, the Aberdeen support that you would be top four every single season, mostly top three, top two, um, for that period that Rangers were out, out the league, you would bit your hand off for it, but it does go still. Um, so it's understand that. But do you think that? An aspect of it is like McInnes, like the same way Lennon is at Celtic, he's clinging on because he knows that he's not got to get a bigger job than that, um, which is a bit of a shame because McInnes is a highly rated manager, but I think now, the way it's worked out, I don't see him progressing from Aberdeen. Yeah, yeah, probably, because I, I think um, if you look at, yeah, you touched on the Rangers job, obviously, and all that, I mean, obviously very close, I probably agree in that. Sunderland in the summer, just previous to that, you West know, Brom. that, yeah, what, I mean, he always gets linked with that West Brom job because obviously he's, he was a former captain and things like that. But I, I mean, I, he was obviously never in the running for it this time around. And I think that, and, and that, that's kind of it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, his stock has obviously gone down. 
Previously, he's been very safe in the sense of his, the relationship with Stuart Mill. You know, like I think, you know, because Millman never had it so good at Aberdeen with a manager who was consistent in bringing results and, you know, like actually challenging and things like that. And I think it's, again, it's similar to Kilmarnock. You know, Aberdeen go through cycles and things like that with different, like in my lifetime. You know, I've never seen a consistent Aberdeen team before Dent McInnes came in. And I think his stock is lower, but if he could get it going again almost, you know, I think there'll always be a job for someone like, I mean, he's young enough anyway for a start, you know, there's, it's the, the difference is he's obviously never going to go and get the old firm jobs. Scotland-wise, below Aberdeen, there's not, there's not like a, you know, it's not, there's no bigger club, if you know what I mean, like, especially in Aberdeen fans. I, I think, can see him being Scotland manager. Well, see, this is it. guys feel about yeah. that. But yeah, again, his stock was high at that point because I think he, I think when the Steve Clark, when Steve Clark got the Scotland job, I think McInnes was probably that was when his stock would have been high enough to 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 have a go at that, you know, if if approached. I think he want he he, he certainly like he said quite publicly he wants to obviously manage Scotland, but obviously like in however many years Steve Clark's at Scotland for you know like. McInnes would really have to build himself back up, I think, to get into that position again. Um, that would probably be his next move if it wasn't, you know, Scotland related, because I don't think he would go anywhere out with Aberdeen here. So, yeah, he's he's linked to the odd kind of job down south, as you say, Matt. But the amount of jobs that go, and I'm thinking like Derby is a perfect example. Like no mention of Derek McInnes at all, and I thought that's the I. Th- I still feel that's the kind of club he could manage. I know things have gone stale for him at Aberdeen, and I know there's you know people laugh at his big game record and how toothless Aberdeen can be against Celtic and Rangers in most games. But I still feel that what he's done at the club, that a team like Derby or you know some other kind of mid-ranking Championship team with aspirations to get to the English Premier League at some stage would take a punt of him, but or take a punt on him. But just earlier in the season. No, absolutely no mention of, of Derek mm-hmm. McInnes. I, I don't know if that's down to, obviously Derby's the example of Wayne Rooney, but if it's down to a younger generation of managers, players who have just played over the last few years being popular choices, Jonathan Woodgate, um, obviously Frank Lampard's a bit different because he's a real household name, I suppose Rooney is as well, but maybe there's less opportunities there. But I think you're right, there's, there's no one in Scotland other than the, the Scotland job that realistic, realistically McInnes would end up at now. I don't think he would go to any other team. Um, Celtic and Rangers, I don't think, would would take him at any stage uh, as manager. So it's a strange one to, to watch. I just feel like they're coming to the end of the road, Aberdeen and McInnes. Uh, I might be wrong with that, but I just I get the feeling that next season Aberdeen might be in different hands. Um, I know what you're, you're saying about the 18-month contract. I just get the impression that I think the most disappointing thing is Aberdeen looked a really good team at the start of the season and you looked like you had, for the first time in years, you weren't relying on um, you know, Rooney's and McGinn's and players like that. You had Hedges and you had Ferguson coming on to a game and McCrory signed and Scott Wright looked good. It was new players, but it just seems to have gone really stale this season and you're now very much in a fight to, to finish um, you know, fourth with the way Livingston are playing, albeit they lost at the weekend. Uh, on that subject, was there anything from the weekend that, that stood out to you guys? Uh, I thought Alan Powers, going back to Kelly Alan Powers, defending for that goal was pretty suicidal. Pathetic, mate, is, is the only way that I could describe it. Just, you know, your, your experienced players giving away goals like that tells you everything. 
but I don't think that helps. I mean, out of nowhere, the St. Mern game on Saturday, Kelly just play a 3-4-3. Like, as if that's what you do. Like, it's, that takes uh, weeks to execute that. I don't remember seeing Kamala play three at the back and like, like, fair was kind of tactical literate, if you want to call it that. Like, 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 when you actually take an interest. Always been a back four. Um, so, to, to just out of nowhere play three centre-halves and Gary Dicker be, be in there in the middle, it was, it was just a recipe for disaster, to be honest. Whereas, I, I appreciate they tried to do something different, but with uh, Fowler and Andy Millen, who thankfully has, has left the club, Andy Millen, that, that is, that um, the, you just you tied it over it until until the new man comes in and you just you just make it as basic as possible. So to just totally, it reeked to desperation, to be honest. Um, and again, I respect they try to do something different, but it was just madness. So in for St Mirren at home. Have you seen the pattern well of St Mirren's home games? Have you have you come across that? No. Do you know that eight so St Mirren were at home for the last two games, I think it was Hamilton and Kelly. They've then got four of their next five are at home as well. So seven out of eight games for St Mirren have all been at home. Have you ever seen a run of fixtures like that? It was a the podcast fan Mark Cherry who pointed that out to me. And if you look in their fixtures, they as I say, they, they had I think Hamilton and um and Kelly and then their next or oh, a few games, they host Celtic, then they go to Aberdeen and then Hamilton, Livingston, Motherwell, Andros County all come to St Mirren Park so it's a good opportunity for them to keep going up the table they're sixth now Jim Goodwin doing a great job there uh, pitch at Ross County looked pretty ropey I don't know if you guys saw the highlights there Dundee United uh, getting a, a good result there 2-0 um, win for them at, at Ross County uh, it just seems like those teams at the bottom are going to beat each other until the end of the season and um, it's interesting to see how that one will shake out um, St Johnson beat Livingston good result it was Martindale's first defeat I think I'm right in saying so a good win for St Johnson and obviously that's the that's the cup final isn't it so a bit of a, a bit of positivity for St Johnson there anything else you guys want to touch on I'm, I'm purposely leaving Celtic out of this because I, I, not much to really say I think in fairness as you said about the, the clubs at the bottom I still genuinely believe though obviously that was a massive result for Dundee United but I still think that they've got to be right in it. Uh, their run of fixtures until the split is concerning. I think they've got every every big. I think they've got Rangers, Celtic, Aberdeen, um, and Hibs maybe as well. So they've still got other teams above them to play. They will pack up points. I, I don't doubt that though. And then when you're getting into the split, every, like when it comes to the split, every game's got to be a six pointer. Because as I said, St. Mirren and deservedly so, I, I think we'll get top six. But it's a case of this season, which we've seen in seasons going past, that that one team who does get the top six is ultimately safe, like the, the, the way that they look at it. I know St Murray only looking behind them just now. They deserve a lot of credit for, for, for the last couple of months. But at least when, when they secure top six, that's them out it. Whereas every other team, is, it's just got to be a dogfight. And I think that you will see a few places switch about. Yeah, um, Jobby Gate. Did we touch on that at all? We didn't do a podcast last week, Matt. What do you What do you make of that? I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I can't really put my finger on it because I mean it's not really a I hope like not. A, well, good good yeah, luck, exactly. <laughs> I know exactly. I mean, it's obviously kind of like Scottish football. Like we love we love kind of things like this. Obviously, it's a bit disappointing. I think 
you've got to assume the guys are volunteer and things like that. You're just obviously having a bit of banter, but at the same time, I get why ha- like, Hamilton are trying to be professional. Like they're obviously trying to like they're putting out a they're putting out a, like a service to fans. And things like that, people are paying and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I find it weird if somebody complained about that kind of thing. Like, to be honest, like complained about, like, you know, like a fan buzzing in and saying, look, you know, it's like off com or something like that. Like, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it, 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 it's kind of. It's just funny, but it's a shame that obviously it's happened. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'd like to see. I'd like to see him get his job back. Job. There's obviously the thought that this. Uh... Commentator allegedly turned up uh, turned up late or something as well, wasn't there? I don't know how true that is, but they're saying that apparently turned up Ibrox and thought they were playing Rangers or something. <laughs> um, but in, when like I eventually heard that, oh, I know, I know. I mean, don't get me when I heard that, it was a bit like Jesus. Like, but I don't think it's a sackable offence. But it was the fact that he kept going with it that made it worse. Right? See if he just said that first, he'd be like, "Aye, alright, mate." Like, but he kept getting on and on, yeah. and you're just like, right, this is a bit cringy. You know? And if somebody said that, I mean, I mean, if any of the Kelly TV commentators listen to this, I feel bad because sometimes I think they're overly criticised. But I mean, the Kelly TV guys have been getting slated quite a lot this season with just the, the whole positivity <laughs> because they're trying to be too positive. But they've got to be, you know, they're employees of the club. But you still, you can't, you can't keep treating fans like they're, they're daft. I'm not saying they're intentionally doing that, but you just know where I'm coming from. Sometimes you just got to call it as you see it. So, I mean, if that happened in Kelly TV, I'd be the first to criticise it as well. Um, but it's just, it's the, the, the guy, the, the fact that he kept going on about it just made it worse. If he just said it once, you forget about it, draw a line under it, but he just kept going. Yeah, my only surprise was it didn't come from Jerry McCulloch or Peter Martin's mouth because we've had every other disaster this season that um, I wouldn't have been too surprised if that had is, befallen us as well. Is Peter Martin though all right, Hamish? Christ almighty, you're talking about like delusion. Well, P- Peter um, Maguire, sorry. Fans on. Aye, I don't know what the, the pattern is with that, but um, Peter Martin or whatever the fuck his surname is, whatever you want to call him, um, we were beating Hamilton, we scored a goal to go 1-0 up in Hamilton and he was talking about how this could be the major turning point for our season and all of that. <laughs> Rangers are away about 30 points ahead of us and we're beating Hamilton 1-0 at home. It just, it's, it's hitting your head off a wall, it's so frustrating. It's I get funny. what you're saying, like, yeah. they don't, you don't expect them to go, oh, this is shite, this is shite, or oh, terrible pass and act like fans, but don't, don't treat us like mugs. Don't tell us that everything's amazing when what we're witnessing is like the worst Celtic team we've ever seen. Does my not in that? Sorry, Matt, did you want to come in? It was just about the, the club TV commentary and things like that. Like, uh, it's funny because obviously every every club now or kind of every fans are getting familiar with their own uh, commentators and things like that. And at Aberdeen, obviously, for the away games, like Rob McLean's been doing them and he's been hosting games as well like you know hosting the pre-match stuff like at home games and uh, it was a game just after Scott Wright obviously kind of announced that he was leaving and things like that and uh, him they were so it was this is Johnston game he, he was so overly positive about like Saint, Saint, Scott Wright obviously like and it's almost been told as if like oh, like like oh, you've got to be positive about the situation things like that and realistically every Aberdeen fan's going why is he still playing for the club? You know, he signed a pre-contract with Rangers. He's probably going to sign in that, and and they were praising. They he's like, oh, he's been a brilliant asset to the team this this uh, this ninety minutes or whatever. And you just think it's so funny how like how different the like club uh, club commentary can actually be. Really, um, 
like, and I think especially when the team's going through a poor patch, that's kind of you know, you know, fans aren't aren't buying it. They don't want the fan. They don't want the fan TV to be like that. They want it to be actually how you know criticize the team. Like just or at least at the very least say it was a bad pass rather than a rather than a good tackle from a, from a different player or something like that. You know, anything. So, um, but it's it's been. I just just on that, I was going to ask you about the the club TV thing. I think are you. Like you see, you're getting value for money now, not in terms of the team performances, but do you think it's gonna bit like you're sick well, of like we, streaming and things like that now? Do you know what I mean? We we started the season with promises about that BT Sport team, Sun, Sunset and Vine coming in, and we get promises about Michael Stewart being on the analysis and Rory Hamilton doing the commentary, and just like Celtic season, it's just imploded and got worse and worse as the season's gone on. We're now at a situation where Jerry McCulloch was in commentary duties on Saturday. Um, <laughs> I personally think Tom Boyd's going to be wheeled back in at some stage. Connie McLaughlin, who is nothing against and I think she's she's pretty good, but like she's not part of Sunset and Vine, so why has she suddenly been brought in You know, in February? So that's annoyed me, but the club have your money, so... So what what are you going to do about it other than moan on Twitter? They don't care about a few replies. They'll just mute you and and get on with it. But I think will clubs are trying hard. To... What's that? I was going to say, will you be able to get Tom Boyd or will we too busy speaking to Paul Larkin about Masonic conspiracy theories against Celtic? He's unbelievable, Tom Boyd. He's actually quite a nice guy, but he should not be a, um, a pundit. It was a not a whole controversy with him last year saying something about paranoia or something just just totally embarrassing right we're nearly done guys one thing i want to do before we we finish the podcast is going to take a rare opportunity to just lay into another sport that sport is rugby union the scottish national team for me completely embarrassed themselves at the weekend not on the pitch but um with several players and england players as well refusing to take an e prior to the match um, can you imagine Callum if this had been a football team that wee nippy would be out criticising them five minutes later instead she's <laughs> drinking pints for the Calcutta Cup <laughs> without without a doubt I think that it's I mean I've kind of switched off from it myself personally so I can only give my viewpoint on it and in, in, in how I see it, I'm not going to lie, it's been pretty tiresome. I've not even bothered to, to really read further into it. I think there's, people are trying to say there's some element of confusion, but you've seen this happen in every single sporting event, uh, every single football game since the beginning of the season, the players take an E. And look at, look at the actual, when the fans were allowed on the ground, when Millwall, I mean, when the players done it and the Millwall fans were booing and get absolutely rightly ripped into them because it was disgusting. And and that's where players taking part, you know what I mean? So if, if could you imagine imagine a, a team in Scotland, as I said, refused to do that with all this about oh, football fans, hooligans, racists, XYZ. But that's just a joke. And obviously there's people who are maybe sick of the gesture than me. For me I'm a bit like I think they should still be doing it. I don't think they like, I mean, for the sake of less than two seconds or four every exactly. game, it raise a bit of awareness for uh like, <laughs> black people getting slaughtered in America be by, by the police force, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't see. I, don't get me wrong. I would, I would like to see more action done, but that's not for football players to do. Um, in regards to just the, the gesture of the knee, I think says enough. Um, as I say, it's less than two seconds. It's not even like we have a minute silence before every game or something. Two seconds, raise a bit of awareness. 
and then got on with it. And and the fact that the, the players did they, and it was so bad because it was it wasn't even a couple, it was like the majority of the players only were they taking it and you're like, What is going on here? So maybe there was confusion, but for me, every single game since August remember at the beginning of the season we've seen a couple of players going too early when the referees blow the whistle and you've seen the guy <laughs> try to run down the line and think, Oh no, wait, I need to get back and, and that's been kinda had a bit of a laugh over players have held their hands up about that and there's been no malice straight down, paid their respects, but but this is just it's it's terrible and the the reaction I, I don't think the reactions uh, in in the press and stuff's been good enough. I think that I should be discussed more. And and uh, as you can say, if, if if football was involved in that, then I, I dread to see it wouldn't be the be the front pages of every single newspaper in the country. Matt, you're a you're a rugby believer. State your your case. I mean, I, I like the internationals. Uh, that's oh, what I, I've got to take. Scotland, Scotland internationals. You were you were um, no, hashtagging I mean... as one on Saturday. No, <laughs> I, um, I I was retweeting. I, I've uh, done as one once, and then uh, that's fine. But um, no, I I totally. I mean, I'm very much for taking the knee and everything like that, and very much on on board with the the criticism, especially initially. However, I actually do kind of think just by speaking to a couple of like rugby people, if you like, who kind of follow a bit more and things like, well, speaking to Callum Kerr about a good friend of the pod, and he was saying about, look, the, the confusion actually, that there genuinely is, seems to be confusion about this, yeah. um, because even, like, I think it's, I think it, the Six Nations initially, they weren't doing it at all, but I think it was almost more because there, there's multiple, not about taking the knee or anything like that, but I, I, I don't know. I just think there's so much confusion across the board with rugby, and I think that's where they need to really be educating it. Not educating themselves on Black Lives Matter, but educating themselves in terms of, look, are we doing this? And if they are, I think they should be doing it. But if they're not, then, you know, every other sport is doing it. So everyone should do it as one, if you like. Because if you look at it in the video, like the Scotland players, like they weren't aware that I think that they were going to be doing it. And then a few England players went down, and then you looked across the line, and you're thinking, "Oh shit, are we we should be doing this." Yeah, so then they do it. It's disappointing because I very much think that everybody should be doing it. I just think that Scottish rugby and English rugby actually need to come out and say, "Look, there was confusion this Saturday against Wales. Just do it, you know." And that's that's the end of the matter because because that because it has to be. Uh, for for me, I'm very much in agreement with Casey about like I I think that taking the knee at sport right now is needs to be highlighted more than anything. To be honest, if it can be done, because you see weekly Man Man United players were getting racially abused. You know, it's and it, 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 until that until people stop doing that, which is years away probably, they need to be making a stand on that now more than ever. Ever, sorry, Casey, you're coming. No, sorry, I. I just on that, and, and I can see that there probably was an element of confusion, but again, say there is, like, I just don't think that washes when it comes to football as well. I mean, c- could you imagine if if players didn't do it in the Scottish Premiership and folks said, oh, we didn't know for them to do it, they'd be absolutely slaughtered for You're it. You're right. Surely, I, d- d- don't get me wrong, I know Scotland, England, like, I don't like rugby, um, but like, that's a football podcast and, and, and we're all aware of that and you are all aware of my views on rugby as well. But, I mean, like, like I, I get that it's, it's obviously probably the biggest game for each country in the Six Nations, well, certainly for Scotland, playing England always is and I get that the last thing in your head before getting into a massive game like that is oh, we, uh, what are we doing before kick off again but surely it's got to be discussed I mean every single football match 
for August has done it, July has done it, so I don't understand why that hasn't been discussed whatsoever. Even if there's been no um, no uh, communication for the Six Nations, say, are we doing it or no? Surely the players in the Scotland national team, the media guys who have got to be briefing folk and stuff like this, have got to be like, right, are we doing it or no? Because if we're no, then we'll stand and respect it, and we'll come out after the game and say that's exactly what we've done, or we'll just or make a stand and do it. So... I, I, I just think, had that happened in football, again, it would be totally and utterly like they'd be lambasted in, in the press. Yeah, listen, as much as I'd love to, to sit here and chat about rugby for the next half an hour, um, we should probably get on with the rest of our lives and say that is the end of the podcast. This has been a, a sombre episode, but we've had a wee laugh, guys, about how miserable our three teams are. If you're a fan of virtually any other team in the country with probably the exception of Dundee you can have a good laugh at us hope you've enjoyed this episode yeah Burst Ball will return very soon hopefully next week take care and we'll speak to you then Burst Ball